Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anne Chavruta, here Dana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ta'anit, daf Gimel, page three. So, actually, I feel like we've got a throwback here on this daf, um, taking us back to Masachet Sukkah, and you'll understand why in just a moment. Tanya Rabbi Natan Omer, B'Kodesh Hesech Nesach Shechar Lashem. So there's a bright in which Rabbi Natan says that in the sanctuary, meaning in the Kodesh, in the Mikdash, in the temple, you'll pour out a libation, of strong drink. Shechar is usually alcohol, you know, stronger than wine, alcohol. And that verse is from Bamidbar. So then, of course, the Torah uses this term, meaning, you know, pour out a libation, which is like libate a libation, whatever, because the and the Torah here, the Gemara here, learns that there's two libations. Um, we're talking about two pourings out. One is from water and one is from wine. So why not just say that both of them are wine? Meaning, why would we stop to think that one is of water? Meaning, if it was going to be two of the same thing, then the words, the wording of the verse should have been hasech hasech or nesech nesech. Meaning, let the wording be the same word, so that you could know that the libation is the same libation. Now, this is the kind of thing where I think we've got wordplay that lines up with what we know, you know, after the fact, or maybe it's not fair to say after the fact, but we do know that there's a water libation and a wine libation. And to say that they're derived from the phrasing, uh, the double language of pouring out the libation, seems reasonable to say that it should be two of the same, that the that the wording had to be even more similar, is an interesting wrinkle here, I think. My hesech nesech, what does it mean to have pour out the libation? So the idea then is the very fact that we have this subtle difference between the verb and the noun of what is being poured out um, teaches us that one will be from wine and one from water. Ella had it So the Gemara says, one second. We all. What about this thing that we also learned in the Mishnah? It takes us back to Masachat Sukkah. kol shiva mani. So we we have a statement that the water libation is all seven days of Sukkot, and the question here is mani. Who is the author of the Mishnah that tells us that? E Rabbi Yoshua. If you say that it's Rabbi Yoshua, name achad yoma. So then if it was Rabbi Yeshua's opinion, then it should really only be just one day. And that should be, um, I guess that would be the eighth. Um, I think that would be eight, the eighth day. I think that would be Shemir Tzeret. Rabbi Akiva, Treyome. If it was Rabbi Akiva's position, then it would be two days. And that would be the sixth and the seventh of the of the days of the Chag. Rabbi Yehuda ben Batera, Shita Yome. And if it was Rabbi Yehuda ben Batera, then the Mishnah was only talking about six days meaning from the second day of Sukkot onward. Now, all of this, again, is taking us back to Masachat Sukkah, but none of it would be this Rabbi Natsad's opinion as above. So the Gemara answers, Really? It's talking, it's always this Mishnah of the Mai, of the water being poured out, is Rabbi Huda ben Bateri's opinion. And he holds, like the opinion of Rabbi Huda from the Mishnah, as it says in the Mishnah, it's not Rabbi Huda Omer, so Rabbi Yehuda says he would he would pour out 
a log, that's a measurement of water, all eight days of Sukkot, including Shemini Etzeret, which is not really a day of Sukkot, and then takes away that first day from this obligation, but he's including this, the eighth day, again, not really Sukkot, and then you end up with seven days of water libations, which lines up then with the what we have here that it, you should pour it out, or the, the first statement, which is that it should be poured out all Shiva, all seven. So then the Gemara wants to know, why would the first day be any different that the water libation would not be poured out? The moment you've got this hint to the idea of a water libation, it's really talking about the second day of the holiday. Um, and likewise, when we're talking about that, we should, if you're going to say that, I meaning if you're going to say that you're following the hint of the water libation to get you only to the second day, um, then also we should not have a libation on the eighth day, again, which is not Sukkot, because there we've got the Torah is giving, again, this hint to the water, <coughs> you know, that you're going to bring water for the last time. That's the seventh day. It does not make any sense that it would be the eighth day. So the Gemara wants to come back and say, okay, it's not Rabbi Yehuda ben Batera. Let's go back to Rabbi Yehoshua's position. Rabbi Yehoshua's position was that you should just bring the water libation only one day of the whole holiday. So, So the Gemara says, okay, let's assume that the mission is in opinion, according with the opinion of Rabbi Yehoshua. Rabbi Yehoshua says, and let's assume that Rabbi Yehoshua maintains that it should be a water libation of all seven days, and that that halacha is transmitted. It's a it's a tradition halacha Sinai, that we have it from tradition. Meaning, it's you don't have a verse to hint to it. You can't rationalize. You can't reason it out. It's just uh, I don't want to say just. It's a mesorah. It's a tradition, and there's no arguing on it. And then the Amar Rabbi Ami Rabbi Ami Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishu Rabbi Nechunya Ish. So Rabbi Ami says that Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Nechunya of the Valley of Beit Chortan, maybe that's where he's from, So he cites this as a tradition that people knew was a Mesorah, that it was something that had been taught you know, for generations, namely, and he's first got a, a, a different rule, namely that the Halacha, they call it the Halacha of the Ten the ten trees or saplings, right? That all of them require, <coughs> excuse me, water. And the idea is that, that you can plow that field where you're planting these saplings in the summer preceding a Shemitah year, even though normally you're not allowed to plow the fields from, you know, going back to Shavuot, which we'd also already talked about, right? Um, in terms of the requirement, but, but in terms of this requirement for the for the saplings, you're allowed to. So there's an exception that is made, and it was Mesorah. It was, again, this tradition, and likewise, the the Arava, right? The willow um, from Oshana Rabbah, right? The practice of walking around the Mizbeach, the altar with the willow, which is takes place on Sukkot. That is also in the list of things of Halach And lastly, Venisu Chamaim, the obligation of the water libation, and then each one of these three things is a halach l'moshmi sinai, and you don't get to argue on it. And like, don't stop trying to figure out exactly what verse it comes from. It doesn't come from a verse in that way. It comes from a mesorah, and that's going to be 
it is, you know, considered authoritative and it is considered certainly good enough to understand that Nisu Chamaim is going to be all seven days. So it's interesting to me that this whole discussion kind of takes place here when it seems like it really, there was a beginning of this discussion in Sukkah, but I don't know, to me, this Gemara seems like it would have been better placed in Sukkah, right? Um, and I understand why it's here, because the whole idea of Nisa Chamaim is thinking about what the rain is going to be uh, for the upcoming year, and that, you know, we're sort of judged for the rain on Sukkot. But, you know, I'm finding so far from yesterday's staff and today's staff, there's something a little disjointed about this masachat. Like there are pieces of it that could fit in in other masachot. Um, I think that certainly it lines up with other masachot. The other thing I'm finding is that because these dapim are not so short, right? So then we select a certain segment to talk about and we're not talking about the whole rest of it where the flow of the Gemara sometimes then is, you know, not at our fingertips in the same way or certainly not within the podcast. So it sounds disjointed, whereas... I feel like for those of you who are reading, you know, the entirety of the daf, you'll feel much more connected from point to point. I think that's <laughs> a great point. So I want to move on to something at the end. Um, the Gemara has a whole discussion talking a little bit about rain and this whole thing with Eliyahu. Um, and it gives the following statement here. And it's a Brisa that's talking about this. And I think it's an interesting thing for Brisa to be teaching because it's not... Uh, it starts off as a halachic uh, statement, but it, you know, it moves into, it, it moves into something else. Um, and it says the following, Tana, ba'avim u'beruchot lo chivu chachavim lahaskir, vim ba'laskir maskir, right? So it says clouds and wind were not obligated to mention, but if you did mention it, you're allowed to mention it. My time, amishum to lo ma'atzri. And what's the reason? Because we say that clouds and wind are never withheld. In other words, rain is something that's withheld, and that's what we're learning about, and that's part of the reason why one needs to, you know, say, we need to talk about the power of rain. But when it comes to clouds and when it comes to uh, uh, clouds and wind, these are things that are never going to be um that, that are never going to be withheld. And so I think that premise in itself, that it's sort of like taught from a halachic viewpoint, I think is very interesting, right? We're making an observation about the natural world, but as Jewish people, whenever we encounter something in the world, sort of our role is to say, okay, well, what does that mean for me in a halachic sense? What does that mean for me practically? And so this price that comes to teach us that what it means practically is that it's not an obligation to pray over it because it's not something that, you know, that, uh, that um, practically, because it's not something that's ever really uh, withheld. So that was the first thing there that I wanted to, to read. Um, and then the Gemara, they bring another Brisa later on. Tana And this says that clouds and winds, right, in terms of sort of the benefit that they give, are secondary to rain. Okay, so then the Gemara says, "Hey, dami." So it says, "How how is this true?" Amar Ula Ula says, "Vitame Rabbi Huda," and some say it was Rabbi Huda. Devatar Mitra, right? Then when the Brisa is talking about this, they're talking specifically about the clouds and the winds that come after rainfall. Lememar Demeulsahi, right? So is that to say that the clouds and the winds that come that basically become the before the rain are beneficial? Vahakitiv, and they quote a, a pasuk here from Devarim. Uh, chapter 20, verse 
Right, that says the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. And some say Ula said it's in the name, and some say it was Rabbi Yehuda. Zika Devater Mitra, that this curse is referring to basically the winds that come after the rain, right? That they will, instead of, uh, you know, basically being rain, there's going to be like, it's going to rain dust. So first of all, this is part of what we call the Tochacha. It's a section in the Torah that sort of says all of the terrible things that are going to happen to the Jewish people if they don't follow the Torah. It's usually read in one complete uh, aliyah, and it's read sort of like in a whisper. And this is part of the Tochacha here. And so what it's coming, you know, so basically what they're saying is, okay, there was like, we have this one bracer that's saying clouds and winds are not really, uh, you know, they're secondary to rain, right? Ula says that this is the, the, the clouds and the rain that comes after the rainfall, right? And then they sort of have this other, uh, you know, statement by Ula or also maybe Rabbi Huda, which seems to say that part of the punishment is, is that, you know, is talking about these winds that come after the rain. So how could you say then it's not something beneficial if it, if it could be a punishment? Well, Kasha, this isn't a Kasha. Right? So it's not difficult. The first statement of Ula is referring to the beneficial wind that comes gently, right? Whereas the second one is something that comes forcefully. It, it basically brings up all this dust and, and then the rain no longer is really effective. And if you want, you could say, Right. So if you want to say that Ula's second statement is talking about wind that raises dust, whereas the first one is talking about rain, uh, wind that doesn't raise dust. But I'm a Rav Yehuda. So then it goes on to say, right, Rav Yehuda says, Zika Devatar Mitra Kimitra. Wind that comes after the rain, right, is as basically as good as rain itself. Eva Devatar Mitra Kimitra. Clouds that come after the rain are as good as rain itself. Right? And then they're saying that sunlight that comes after the rain is as good as two rainfalls. So the question is here, what is Rabbi Huda's statement trying to exclude? It seems all of these things are actually, they are beneficial. So he's coming to exclude the glow of the evening and the sun that comes between the clouds. These things are actually harmful if they come after the so I, part of what I'm struck here by is like this is not a particularly like halachic discussion. The first brisa that I read, it makes sense, you know, in that okay, we're observing something in nature, and then we have to decide does it have an impact on us halachically? Is that something we have to daven for or not daven for? Now the Gemara is really just going through a series of statements that is sort of just the observation of the natural world around us. And what we see that sort of like, whether it's a Tana or an Tanamora, there's sort of this trying to like make sense of the natural world around us, right? Like we see certain things in nature and we're trying to parse out like, are the things in nature always beneficial? We know rain is beneficial. We know rain is something that's key, but things like clouds, uh, winds, you know, sunlight, are those just things that sort of happen in the world or are they things that always have to sort of directly benefit? <coughs> And then we go on. Amar Rava. Rava says, So then Rava says, snow is as beneficial as the mountains of five rainfalls on earth. And here he quotes a pasuk to prove this. this is a pasuk from Eo of chapter 37, verse 6. 
Uzo, right? So it says, for he says to the snow, right? God is talking to the snow, fall on the earth, likewise to the shower of rain and to the showers of his mighty rain. So here there's sort of five references to the word rain in this pasuk that mentions snow. So that means snow has to be as good as rain. But Amarava, Rava goes on to say also, Tagla Lature, snow is good for the mountains. Mitra Raza, the strong rain, Li'ilane, is good for trees. Mitra Nicha Lepere, and light rain is good for fruit. And I'm just going to finish reading on the top of the next stop. Urpale, Afilo, Lepartsida, Detute, Kala, Mahane, Le. And drizzle, that's what Urpale is, is beneficial even to seed under clot of earth, meaning it can get anywhere without causing harm. My Urpale, and the Gemara says, what's drizzle? Ure Pile, right? It means it arises uh, furrows. The um, Amarava, and then Rava also says, right? Hide surba mi Rabanan, dami lefartsida detute kala, dekeven de nava nava, right? That a Torah scholar, a surba is like a seed under earth. Once he sprouts, he sprouts. So I just found this whole passage to be so interesting. It's like a lot of observation about trying to make sense of the natural world. And I think that's a little bit of key of what's going on with this particular masakat, right? A lot of what this masakat is going to talk about is that when something that we expect to happen in the natural world doesn't happen, which is rain falling, right? And that basically we do this series of fast days, right? Which the Gemara will learn much more about if we don't get something that we're supposed to get in the natural world. And sort of to set that up, I think what the Gemara is going through is making observations about other things in the natural world and sort of trying to determine what's beneficial or not beneficial. And it's very clear that rain is sort of in its own particular category, which again, I think sort of sets up everything else that we're going to see in the rest of the Masachat. That's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this dynamic of nature and where we're going with Masachat Ta'anit. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.